We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ivy Nation, welcome to the Irish Breakdown Podcast. We are live here on a Monday, which of course means Notre Dame Recruiting Hour. Kind of recapping a little bit of the weekend. I know most people are going to want to talk about Notre Dame's obviously dominant 42-3 to victory over Navy. And we can do that. You want to throw some mailbag questions in for the mailbag section of the podcast, which of course will be the last section. We can talk about Notre Dame's victory over Navy. But we are here to focus on recruiting for Notre Dame. And obviously that is going to intensify over this season, both from the 2025 perspective and maybe the 2024 perspective. We'll see obviously how things work itself out. But Notre Dame is about to have its first home game of the the year against Tennessee State. So we know as Notre Dame starts to go into some of these home games, the Tennessee States, the Central Michigans, and obviously into the Ohio States of the world, you're going to be seeing visitor lists really start to fill up. So make sure you go to boards at irishbreakdown.com because on there we have a visitor list and it is going to be updated frequently. We know at least one Notre Dame commit will be on campus this weekend for the first home game of the year. Logan Saldate, California wide receiver in the class of 2024. So make sure you stay tapped in boards at irishbreakdown.com today. We we're going to recap a little bit of the commits in week one. And I think it's really going to lead us into a great conversation that I wanted to have about the 2024 wide receivers. I actually have a piece that I'm putting out on IrishBreakdown.com. It should be out either today or tomorrow about just kind of my early takeaways from the wide receiver group in 2024. And that is Cam Williams, Logan Saldate, Micah Gilbert in the 2024 class. And how underrated I think that that group is going to end up being as we kind of work through. So we'll talk a lot about the commits in the class. We'll also work on the wide receiver group in 2024, because I think that that's really where my focus wants to go for this piece. Because this morning, I put out a Notre Dame recruiting roundup of all the players from this past weekend. Last week, during the week zero, excuse me, of high school football, we saw some players get their week, their season started out. But it was a very short list. This week, we saw a lot of players that started kicked off their season, including CJ Carr this past Thursday. So we're going to get into all that. 
We're also have a, I have a special interview for you all. I know everyone was super excited a little over a month ago when star Bellflower, California linebacker out of St. John Bosco, Mr. Kingston Villiamo Asa, committed to the University of Notre Dame. Well, one thing that I want to do for you all is, you know, I love to give you a little bit of the parents' perspective into recruiting. So I sat down with his, his mother, Taliuta Villiamo Asa, to talk about everything recruiting on Kingston's side, the process of narrowing it down, which I thought was really an interesting conversation, and why he ultimately ended up with Notre Dame, and also a little bit about their family and their background athletically. I just think it was a really cool conversation. We're going to get to that second, of course, the mailbag. We already had a bunch of mailbag questions that were submitted before we even start the show here. So if you can, one person show today, right? Rod Roberts, Director of Recruiting here at Irish Breakdown. Make sure you're putting MB in front of your chats in the message section here, okay? In the comment section, because that'll help me distinguish a lot quicker of what is a question, what isn't a question, what are people just genuinely talking about, you know, that type of thing. So make sure you're putting in the MBs, and I'm excited to get into this show. Before I start officially, though, into the brunt of the conversation that I want to have today, I want to thank you all very much, not only for just being live with me here on a Monday, because I truly truly do appreciate it so much i really do but also brian driscoll informed me this morning of something really cool that i just want to share briefly with you all on saturday notre dame's obviously big game day irish breakdown had its biggest day in the history of the site from a traffic perspective on the website at irishbreakdown.com so i want to send shout outs to everyone listening out there even if you're not a subscriber to irish breakdown or the message board and all that great stuff You all are reading the content, and we truly do appreciate it. So real quick shout-out to you all, because I think that we we try to make this a community aspect, obviously, right? But I really want to just highlight you all so much, because we genuinely appreciate it, not just the people that are on the message board. We appreciate you, of course. Not just the people that tune into Irish Breakdown Podcast each and every day, but everyone that just takes a second out of the day. I can truly say this just from my perspective, and I'm sure that Brian would echo this. I appreciate everyone out there that reads the articles, that listens to the podcast, even if you don't agree with some of my takes and, and my and my perspective on things, I just appreciate the attention, right? Like I appreciate you guys taking a second out of your busy days because I'm a father of two now, a husband and obviously full-time worker. And I understand how hectic the day can get. So thank you all. Just want to start us off with that. But let's get into recruiting, obviously. So recruiting hour this week, I really want to focus on a lot of the commits from this past week that were in action. And I actually want to start this one off. Typically, I would start quarterback and then go all the way down to safety, right? You know, quarterback, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, offensive linemen, so on and so forth. I actually want to start this conversation off a little bit differently because, like I said, I had I have an article that's coming out about the 2024 wide receiver class. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And I really wanted to start us out here because I feel like that's a position that is a little bit underrated. Everyone talks about Cam Williams, and for good reason. We should. And I'm going to highlight what Cam Williams was able to do this past weekend, which was absolutely fantastic. fantastic. But I think that we lose sight of how good of football players Micah Gilbert is out of the state of North Carolina and how good of an athlete and talent Logan Saldate is. Because, hey, we're still getting to know Logan Saldate, right? It was some player that was on the board for very long for Notre Dame before they were able to flip him from Oregon State. But I think that Notre Dame may have gotten a gem there and Logan Saldate. So let's roll through a couple of these games to start out this week. I really wanted to hit on first and foremost camps who again everybody knows cam because i really think and here i don't know if this is a hot take i don't think it's a hot take so please correct me if i'm wrong if you guys agree if you don't agree we can have that conversation obviously right but i think that there is a legitimate conversation that you could say that cam williams is the best recruits notre dame has currently in the 2024 recruiting class i I think you can make that Uh, he would be a five-star for me right the second i know he's five-star by at least one platform and I think when I think rivals had him high, pretty high as well. So he's like a borderline five star by a bunch of different play by a bunch of different platforms so far. But I really think that Cam is special, man. I mean, like just point blank to it, right? Like this young man, and he got the week off to a great start. And I know that a lot of Notre Dame fans are regional. Like there's a lot of people out there listening. I'm sure that are probably near South Bend or from Chicago or a neighboring community. And luckily, Notre Dame was able to identify Cam Williams early on in this process, who was a wide receiver out of Glenbard South in Glen Ellen, Illinois, which, of course, is just a bordering outskirt of Chicago. So he's a Chicago kid. And he got this week off to a fantastic start. Glenbard South took on Aurora East High School. This game was not much of a contest, 56-21 final. But Cam Williams was a massive reason why that is. Cam Williams had five, let me say this again, he had five touchdowns in their opening season victory against Aurora East. Three receiving, all in the first half, and two kickoff returns for touchdowns. I'm going to have a little piece. I I got the chance to talk a little bit with Cam about the historic performance because not many guys, especially wide receivers, on the high school level have five touchdowns in a game ever. Like that is just an incredible, incredible number. Like it really is. I asked Cam, though, and uh, I was kind of joking with him, I think on – Saturday morning, I was joking with him, and I was like, dude, like, why were they kicking to you? <laughs> Especially after the first one. And he told me that his co- the, literally the coach on the other team on Aurora was like, dude, he was apparently freaking out at his kicker. He's like, why did you kick to him again? What are you doing? Which is just a really funny kind of situation that happened. But regardless, Cam Williams, five total touchdowns in the 56-21 victory. 
three receiving, two kickoff returns. And I again, I, I joked with him a little bit because I was like, man, you're on pace for 55 touchdowns if you play 11 games again this season, right? Like no pressure. Of course, he laughed that one off a little bit. But he is a incredibly talented football player. I think he's a five-star today. And I think that he is has been a five-star for some time. Since uh, someone, Eric Santini, just asked, do I know what his receptions and yards totals were? I talked to Cam, and he actually didn't know those numbers yet, and it's not posted anywhere. Like, there's not any articles out there. Max Preps doesn't have that number yet. So as soon as I have that number officially, Eric, I will put it out there. But I don't think he had a ton of catches or yards in this football. Well, yards were probably pretty good. I don't think he had a ton of, catch, ton of catches in this football game. He just did the most with every touch he had which was just really cool to see. So Cam Williams, star wide receiver out of Glenbard South. That's how I kind of wanted to start the conversation. But wide receiver doesn't end there, folks. Doesn't end there. Charlotte Christian, which is the home of Gilberts in the 2024 class, as well as starting Bryce Young, they got their second game of the season kicked off this weekend on Friday, actually. They played against Catawba Ridge, and I completely – Completely mispronouncing that name. So my apologies for any North Carolina people, especially in here, that know better than myself. I talked about him last week, though. Micah Gilbert had a really solid opening game two weeks ago. He had five receptions for, I believe, 65 yards in the first game. This game, Micah Gilbert went bananas, folks. Like, absolutely bananas in this one. He had seven receptions for 132 yards and two touchdowns. And I actually did. I hope I hope that if you're not subscribed to BoardsAtIrishBreakdown.com, you should go there now because I started a new feature every week where I do the top five plays from commits over the past weekend. So five plays that really stood out to me, and I kind of break it, broke it down a little bit. But I also did one that was exclusively on Micah Gilbert because the great thing about Micah was that he wasn't just winning in one way, right? Like there are some players that you watch and you just say, that kid's just a screen player who can just make things happen after catch. They also have players that are just vertically oriented players who they're a one trick pony. Micah Gilbert is not that folks. Micah Gilbert is one of those football players who could do a little bit of everything. And that's really what stands out to me. I mean, there was a deep ball where he kind of had a little bit of stubborn go happening, got some, got some separation on the cornerback, but it was a look. but the one thing about Micah Gilbert, and I know Brian's talked about this a ton, Micah is not incredibly fast, right? So he was able to get separation, but he ended up having to come back for the football because the guy was the cornerback, the opposing cornerback was able to catch up to him from behind, right? So it becomes a catch point football, but Micah extends. And I think that he really showcased the best three attributes of his game for me. One, his body. He's got a great body, long, athletic. He's got great body control, and he's got absolute mitts for hands, man. Like, he has all three of those together, and I think he translates very easy to an outside receiver as a catch point guy, and he did that on this play. But the really great thing about Micah Gilbert is that's not exactly what his game is best at. He's a route runner. He's a precision player. I put him in, a, in the article that I have coming out, like he is a he is a very underrated technician. He was playing as the slot receiver the majority of the game, and he's just creating instant separation with his releases, with his route running. This is a really talented football player, right? Athletically, Cam Williams is that guy. 
Like he's a 4-4 athlete, incredibly athletic, strong, explosive. Micah Gilbert is not as physically gifted as what Cam Williams brings to the table. But what Cam Williams does is Cam Williams is a fantastic – I mean, I'm sorry. What Micah Gilbert does is Micah Gilbert has incredibly incredible attention to detail, and he is meticulous with his craft. I mean, his his feet, there's just no wasted movement. There's no bad steps. He just understands how to play the wide receiver position. That's just kind of where you are with a player like a Michael Gilbert. So he had a tremendous day, seven catches, 132. I saw someone say like 160 on Twitter. I, I saw someone say that. And I literally saw every catch that, that Micah had during that game. And I added up the yards myself. And I don't know how we got to 160 there, but either way, 132 yards and seven receptions for a guy that's more of a short area dude, a guy that's going to create a lot of instant separation in Micah Gilbert. Really great number. Two touchdowns as well, including one where it was a little bit of a scramble drill. He came back to the pylon once the quarterback broke the pocket, which just showed tremendous awareness. That's the best thing I love about Micah Gilbert's game is the attention to detail, man. Chancey Stuckey is going to love him because he's going to come in day one. It's not going to be a new language to him, right? Like there's some wide receivers that come in. You have to break it down from the absolute just most monotonous things, right? From a stance, start, route running, top ends, you know, sinking hips, like all that type of stuff. Michael Gilbert's not going to be one of those dudes, man. He is a really, really good athlete as an overall football player. But the things that make Mike Gilbert such a good player because he lacks speed is that he is just understands his craft so well. So he's going to come into that Notre Dame wide receiver room in 2024. And he's going to be ahead of some guys, I think, early on because he's just – just knows the game, man. He knows how to play. Really, really like what Micah Gilbert has been doing the first two weeks, but especially week two, man. I thought he looked very, very good this past week. And then the third receiver, which people aren't going to talk about enough because, one, those are East Coast guys or Midwest people, a little bit of a different time zone, and maybe we don't see a lot of the California action. But Logan Saldate out of Salinas, California, Palma High School, 41-12 victory over Saldad this past weekend. He had six receptions for 171 yards and two touchdowns. And the great part about Logan, this is what I really like to see, is that the things that I loved about Logan Saldate's film as a junior immediately, where he's a really good space player, he understands how to get in and out of his breaks, he's really good after the catch, and he's just one of those dudes that I think understands how to... uh, manipulate space and manipulate space is a really cliche kind of term, right? Think of it like this, a kid that understands how to find space. And there's a lot of ways to find space. It could be from athleticism perspective. It could be from a route running perspective, but then the ability to manipulate space is the ability to do what, what you can after the catch point, right? After you get the football in your hand, what can you do to navigate the field vision, the ability as a runner after the catch, Logan Saldate brings all that to the table which is why I really liked him to start out this conversation, right? Really liked him when he flipped from Oregon State to Notre Dame. But I'll tell you what, guys, the one impressive thing about Logan this past weekend that I necessarily didn't see 100% on film as a junior was I didn't think he was necessarily the fastest player of all time. I I didn't necessarily see that. I think the speed was solid, but I thought that his quickness was where he really won, right? Like he's a short area type of player. But there were a couple of plays, including a very long touchdown on this one, 
Well, I think Logan Saldate has got a little bit more juice than he did as a junior. I really do. And he is a young man that when you look at the numbers, he's a 24-foot long jumper, 10-8 in the 100, which is a, a good time. It's not a great time, though. I mean, we've seen guys just over the last couple of years. I mean, you think of Micah Bell ran 10-4. Jeremiah Love ran in 10-5s. Like, that's flying, right? 10-8 is, is not quite to that level, obviously. But I think that his speed has taken a nice step up from where it was as a junior going into his senior year. And my article basically, yeah, 24 feet to, to the comment that just came in the chat, 24 feet is a ridiculous number. But I think that kind of backs up my assumption of him early on when he first committed to Notre Dame is 24-foot long jumper, 10, 800-meter guy. That tells me he's more of a short area dude, right? Like short area explosive. That's how I kind of thought of Logan Saldate. But I thought he showed a lot more acceleration and speed on film in his first game of the season than what I had seen as a junior. And if he does, I mean, guys, we're talking about a really good football player. Like, he just got his fourth star from rivals. I think that Logan Saldate is a player that could really rise in the, rise in the rankings this year because he's going to put up some really nice numbers. And he's a player that I think is getting now more on people's radar. When he was – all due respect to Oregon State because you all know – I love what Jonathan Smith is doing over at Oregon State. I really like the Beavers because they are really just physically imposing good program. They're coached well. But a player that's committed to Oregon State is not going to get the same spotlight as a player that's committed to University of Notre Dame. That's just kind of obvious, right, news, right? Like I'm not breaking any news there. But I think now that he – if he is a player that is now more on the radar, I think people are just going to notice him more. Right. Like I watched his junior film. I'm like, that's a four star player to me. Watch the senior film, just one game of it, but that's definitely a four star player. Like there's no argument there. And I love potentially how this wide receiver group in 2024 is looking right now because I look at it and say, we always talk about this, right? It's great. It, you want, you need to stack talent first and foremost. You need to get talent to come in order to take the next step. And the wide receiver room under Chancey Stuckey has certainly taken that next step. I mean, we just saw what Jaden Greathouse was able to do in week one. We saw how Jaden Thomas looked in his role. We saw Deion Coles even come and play a good football game against Navy. Wide receivers in game one look really good to me. So I think that the I think that he is really transforming that room, talking about Coach Stuckey. But 2024, I'm still excited about this class. Because I really think that there's a world long-term, and it never happens like this because there's always defections. You know, someone doesn't quite become what you thought he was going to be. You know, a guy transfers, a guy gets injured, yada, yada, yada. Like that stuff always happens. But there is a world where these three players could potentially be your starting lineup at Notre Dame. And again, not incredibly likely that that happens because there's always things that that kind of happen behind the scenes. But I look at this class and I say, for me, Micah Gilbert's a guy that I could throw in the boundary today. And he could win with his size and physicality. And then he could also come in and play in the slot at times. I look at Cam Williams and I say he could play both outside spots, but I really like him to the field, but he can play in the boundary as well. He could probably play in the slot if he wants to, because Cam Williams is just a special football player. Right. But I envision it like I envision it like this folks, like just stay with me for a second. Micah Gilbert in the, in the boundary, Cam Williams in, 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 in to the field out wide as the Z. And then you put Logan Saldate 
in at as the slot receiver, as a 5'10, 5'11, 180 pounds receiver. That would that the reason that's such an interesting class to me, and the reason I'm so excited about it is because they're all so different, right? Like Cam Williams is an incredibly different football player than Micah Gilbert. Both those players are incredibly different than Logan Saldate. Those players can fit together so well, which is why I think it's a tremendous wide receiver group. So there might be a wide receiver class. that There are probably going to be a, several wide receiver classes that from a recruiting ranking perspective, guys rank higher than Notre Dame's. But I'm just here to tell you all right now, I love, 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 love this wide receiver group. And I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it. Is there a guy that I would take extra? Sure. Like if Ryan Wingo wanted to come to Notre Dame tomorrow, sure, right? If Micah Hudson wanted to come to Notre Dame tomorrow, cool, man. Like an elite level player wanted to come and join this group, fantastic. But I really am just enamored with this 2024 class because not only do I like each of these players individually, I think that Cam Williams is a stud, one of the best receivers in the 2024 class, five-star player. I think Micah Gilbert's one of the very underrated players in the 2024 class of wide receiver. I mean, he's a not a borderline, he's not a borderline top 250 player like he is by these platforms to me. He's a top 150 football player, potential top 100 player. That's what I think of Mike Gilbert. And Logan Saldate is a four-star, like he is. Exactly where I would rank him. Let me watch a couple more games. Because again, I thought he looked a much different than what I saw as a junior, athletically. I thought he had to step up. So if he does that across a full season, then we might be talking about a top 100, 150 kid. It's possible. It really is. Because there's not a lot of ton of holes in Logan Saldate's game. Because even though he's a smaller receiver, he plays really well at the catch point as well. So he might just be one of those very good all-around football players. But we'll talk about that more down the road as far as where guys are trending, what the next step, like all that, right? That's kind of where we, that's where I want to go with this conversation in a few weeks. But as of right now, man, I'm excited about this 2024 wide receiver class. I really am. I think it is a talented group. And I wanted to kick off this commit recap because I don't think we're talking about this group enough, man. Everyone talks about Cam and for good reason. Cam Williams is a stud. That's the sixth time I've said he's a stud already. Cam Williams, absolute stud. Mikey Gilbert, super underrated. Logan Saldate, riser in the 2024 class. That is a great, great wide receiver group. Love it. Now let's go to the spot that I think most people probably want us to start, and for good reason. Based on this on the message board as well on Friday morning, because this young man, CJ Carr, who everybody knows in the 2024 class, out of Saline High School in the state of Michigan, they got their season kicked off with a 42-3 victory against the Brighton Bulldogs. And the Brighton Bulldogs apparently were 8-2 last season. So they uh, they they were not a bad football team, right? And and But C.J. Carr and his squad came in, absolutely destroyed them. 42-3, same, rec- same score as Notre Dame versus Navy this past weekend, which I thought was pretty funny kind of looking back at it. But I really thought C.J. looked great in this game, man. I watched this. I watched every single rep for my breakdown of him. And I talked a lot about, I think there's baseline things to CJ Carr. And he went 21 of 28 for 309 yards, two total touchdowns. He completed 14 of his first 16 passes on the day. Did throw one interception late later in the second half or late in the third quarter. But for me, and the reason that I was so excited with what I saw from CJ 
was one, there's a baseline thing. The baseline is, is that he is a really, really good player inside of structure. He can get through his progressions quickly. He's a very accurate quarterback. Ball comes out super on time. All the baseline things that you love at the quarterback position, CJ Carr has. The things that were cool to see, though, the progression that he makes, is I thought going from his sophomore year to his junior year, I thought that he, I thought it was, I thought he went from just a, almost a pure pocket kid to a player that can do a lot more outside of structure. Is a lot more comfortable outside of structure, I should say, as a junior. Senior season, so far, it gets only one game. But I thought he looked even more comfortable. You know, like there's times where they're running some zone read for him where he's pulling. But there is was one play in particular where he broke the pockets because there's a little bit of pressure, scrambling right. And there's a dead point in this progression where he's getting close to the sideline. He kind of pulls up and I'm like, man, it's either ball out or you're about to get killed, right? Like there's no in between there. He spins back in toward the middle of the field and he throws a ball across field for a wide receiver that's going back to the left. And it's a very difficult throw, by the way. And I think that you saw a little bit more arm strength there than maybe you had seen previously. And I really think that though, that that ability as an extender is incredibly underrated for CJ Carr. As a sophomore, I didn't see it from a extending perspective as much. Junior year, saw it a lot more. Senior year, first game, I saw more and more comforts out of structure. So if CJ Carr could become anywhere close to the player he is out of structure, to the player he is inside of structure, then man, he's going to be a special player. Like that's just kind of where it is. Like I really think that he could be a special, special football player at the next level. So yeah, man. CJ Carr looked fantastic. That should be just a pretty, that should be like a requisite at this point though. Like uh, it's something that you expect, right? It's an expectation, I should say. So CJ looked great. 42-3 victory over Brighton. One running back that got me super juiced, folks. I put this again in the article. I'm going to put actually put this article in the chat in case people are more visual learners because I am a visual person. I need to read things and just kind of work things out with my own mind and my own eyes. Kedron Young. Running back out of Lufkin, Texas, Lufkin High School. They got their season started off playing against Tyler Legacy. Lufkin won 31 to 7. Kedron Young, folks, 149 yards and three touchdowns on only 18 carries, averaged 8.3 yards per carry. There was one play in particular that it was his first touchdown of the season. He ran for 68 yards and a touchdown on this one. And he what made my he made my top five plays of the week. I think he ended up being number four on my list, number three on my list. I think number four on my list, I believe. So a guy that is as big as Kedron is, he's 5'11, 220 pounds right around. You have a preconceived notion of what Kedron Young is going to be as a football player, right? You expect Aldrich Estimate. You expect a guy that's incredibly physical, downhill, breaks a ton of tackles, and you get that. There's no doubt. Kedron Young could do that stuff. But Kedron's got a special gear for his size, man. He can manipulate and evaluate first and second level traffic. He can make players miss. And when he gets out into the open, my guy can scoop, man. And if you saw this game this past weekend, 
you saw not only Aldrich Estime, you saw LeBron Payne, you saw Jerry and Price score his first career touchdown after the Achilles last year. You saw Jeremiah Love have four carries for 40 yards. Man, running back room in Notre Dame right now, it's scary, guys. Like, just talking about the 2023 season. And then you add in the fact that next year, 2024, you're going to get both Kedron Young and you're going to get Aeneas Williams. Dang, man, that's so much talent. Like, because on because look, I mean, honestly, like as the NFL draft guy, right? As a guy that kind of talks to scouts and understands kind of where things are trending, I would be kind of surprised if Audrick Estime was in college in 2024. I would be a little bit surprised, but every other running back should be back, right? Or could be back, I should say. I mean, even Audrick Estime could come back if he felt like it. But adding to this running back room, Kedron Young, and then also Aeneas Williams, that's really good, man. I, I, I don't even – guys, it's scary. Like, it's really scary. And everyone's going to say, like, you know, oh, you got to find ways to get, you know, get players on the field and to be able to, you know, find roles for each player. And you got to be able to get this guy's touches. And you're not wrong about that, right? It's It's a tough thing to manage. But you just saw five guys get carries this past weekend. Like, we're not even including, you know, the transfer from Penn State. And, you know, I mentioned Jabron Payne. I mean, there's a lot of running backs in this room right now, but they all got touches, man, which was really impressive by this staff. That's one thing. I understand that Notre Dame was destroying Navy at some points, right? Like, they were dominating that football game. But they were getting Jeremiah Love, Jabron Payne, Darian Price touches when it still mattered. When it still mattered, Devin Ford had touches when the game still was close. That was really impressive by the staff. So selling that to Keedron Young, to Aeneas Williams, like, hey, man, if you come in and you're a guy, you're going to get carries. Like, that's just point blank. And that kind of leads me into the next guy is, is Aeneas Williams had a football game. They unfortunately plays for Hannibal High School in the state of Missouri. Unfortunately, they did not have a good result on the field. They lost 49-13. to 13. But another rock-solid game for Aeneas Williams, who ran for 116 yards and a touchdown on only 19 carries. So team result wasn't great, but individual result was very good. You know, 119 yards, 116 yards on the ground and a touchdown. If you guys just want to see some crazy stats and highlights, just watch what Aeneas Williams has been able to do in his career. And again, he's not playing against great competition at Hannibal, but when you don't play great competition, you have to dominate it, right? And Aeneas dominates almost every week. I mean, he is a player that can run the football, can catch the football, can return kicks if you need him to. He can block. He's just an all-around good football player. And he shouldn't be underrated in this class because when you talk about Aeneas Williams, you talk about Kedron Young, that pair together, those guys are so different, which makes it a really, really interesting pairing moving forward, adding to this already deep running back room. Obviously, I talked about the wide receivers. I went super in-depth. Oh, I almost forgot about a running back. Justin Thurman's team don't have stats on him. But Tampa Bay Jesuit did get off to a 34-20 to victory over Wharton this past weekend. They had a – by the way, I don't know who the man is, but they had a wide receiver that went for like over 200 total yards in that football game and three touchdowns. So don't know if he's any good. But, uh, I mean, obviously he's a very good high school player. But I don't know if he's a recruit. But very interesting. But uh, Justin Thurman's team got off to a victory as well. So running back room for Notre Dame. Moving forward into the 2024, 2025, and the foreseeable future under Dilo McCullough is in a really good place. Really good place. 
Probably the most underrated player on the offensive side of the football in 2024 is probably Jack Larson, who is an offensive, I mean, sorry, tight end out of Charlotte Catholic in the state of North Carolina. They blanked Northern Durham this past weekend, 49 to zero. Jack Larson holding another touchdown reception, a 39 yard touchdown in this victory. First two games of the season, Jack Larson with four touchdowns. If you saw his first game, he had three total, and that one looked very good. This next game, touchdown. I mean, all the kid does is make plays at the end of the day, right? We all, I, I know, I know there's some people, naysayers out there that aren't big Jack Larson fans because of, you know, athletically, he isn't the most stellar athlete of all time, right? Most like just killer athlete. But the kid just makes plays. And at some point, you just look at a kid and say, you know what? Just a really good football player. And that's what Jack Larson is to me. Like, he's just a really good football player. Four touchdowns already this season. I expect him to have a big year. And he'll probably always be underrated from a – probably always be underrated from a rankings perspective because he's not a guy that people are going to love from a, you know, just a physical perspective. Just a good player, man. Just good at that that point. So, Jack Larson – Team got off to a 2-0 start. He's a really good player on Charlotte Catholic. Two offensive linemen that I want to walk through before we get into the defensive side of the football, which did some other really exciting things. Anthony Knapp out of Roswell, Georgia. Guys, I mean, one, they had 445 total yards and scored 71 points. They defeated Centennial 71-7. to I talked about this last week. Anthony Knapp looked really good in week one. Really, really good. He's proving me wrong as far as I thought it was a little bit of a reach when they took the commitment. But so far through two weeks, he looks really good. So I'm keeping an open mind. Anthony Knapp, 71 to 7 victory over Centennial for Roswell, Georgia, having a really good senior year so far. As in Styles Prescott, who defeated whose team, Hamilton Southeastern and Fishers, Indiana, destroyed defeated North Central. 35 to seven. So offensive linemen are off to very good starts. I think Notre Dame needed them to get off to really good starts too, because they, they had a lot of tools talking about Anthony Knapp and Styles Prescott. Like there's tools that I liked, but I needed to see a big senior year jump. And so far they're having a jump. We'll see as far as how big of jumps they end up being in a full scope of a season. But I like what I've seen out of both these players. So that's going to do it for the offensive side of the football. Let's go to defense now, okay? Bryce Young. I talked about Charlotte Charlotte Christian defeating Catawba Ridge 34-13. to Guys, I'm here to tell you, I don't think his stat line was quite as impressive as the first game of the year. But I think that Bryce Young was actually better in game two than he was in game one. One of his plays made my top five plays of the week on the Irish, uh, the premium message board at irishbreakdown.com. I mean, look, 6'5", 240 plus pounds. Some people listen at 6'6", at this point. There's preconceived notions that you get when you look at a profile, right? You look at a profile and you say 6'5", 240-something pounds. The preconceived notion, because you look at his body and you say, I, I look at him and I say, he's a little bit high cut. He's probably a linear player, so explosive in a straight line, probably can't change direction that well. That's my assumption, right? Then I watch, <laughs> then I watch Bryce Young, and I'm like, oh, oh, my guy can move, 
right? Like there's a reason that he was a former wide receiver at some point. So not only is he growing into his body and becoming a much bigger body type, he can change direction. There was this one play. It was the most impressive play I saw from all game. He had this play where he completely beat the offensive lineman across his face. He was playing like left defensive end, slanted inside, beat the offensive tackle across his face, gets inside, running back tries to take him. Bryce hits like almost like this jump swim move. It was kind of weird. I don't think he actually meant to do it. I think he's just super athletic, right? So he just like made a move impulsively. But he got past this running back. And the quarterback had moved away from Bryce, right? Like to hit to, to Bryce's left, the quarterback's right, started moving. And usually when guys are high cut and can't change direction, they kind of just going in a straight line, right? And they have a tough time turning. Their hips just aren't loose and they have a tough time redirecting. Bryce Young bent his, bent his hips and he just, he just turned on this angle that is just different for a guy his size. Like something you just can't really quite understand, right? Like uncommon is a word that I would use to say this. Straight line is explosive. He's strong. He's developing into his frame. But the looseness he plays at, there's going to be some questions of like, what position does he play long-term? And I think that for me, like, I think he could be a big end or a three tech eventually if his body keeps developing. Like I think he could fit inside, but that and that ability to change direction, like there's no reason that he can't stick outside. There's no reason. Like he's one of those guys that this is going to sound weird, but he could play. He could play defensive end at 285 pounds. Like he could do that. I really, I really believe that because his change of direction for his size, the looseness of his hips, it's rare. It's a rare, rare, rare change of direction for a guy his size. Bryce Young is making me a believer. I'll put it like that. Two straight games now of excellent play. I talked about this on the podcast last week. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, right, with this. Because sometimes a guy has an incredible game and then you don't hear from him for a couple games. Well, Bryce Young, back-to-back weeks, two forced fumbles this past past week, one one and a half sacks. He is stacking games now. And if he has another couple games like this, guys, this might be a top 100 player. He might be a top 50 player. Like, it's very possible. He's that type of athlete and talent. It was all about maturing and getting to the best version of himself. And I think we saw, we have seen now two straight games that the athleticism has remained intact as the body has continued to develop and get bigger. So Bryce Young is making me a believer, man. Keep doing what you're doing, sir. You're in for a big recruiting bump. There's some there's some pro- platforms that are already are bumping him up a little bit. But I think that this kid could be a top 100 player. Top 50, possibly. Like, he's that type of dude. Incredible talent. Incredible, incredible talent. Logan Thomas in his St. Edward School, um, Lakewood, Ohio, St. Edward, who have won back-to-back state championships. They played on Sunday, actually, this week, because they played Good Council, which is a really good school out of Maryland. 28-7. to and so, I mean, the defense straight games has now given up 10 points and 7 points. So 17 total points in two games. And they played against two pretty good football teams the first two weeks. I mean, yeah. So they played Center Grove the first week and then good counsel back-to-back weeks. Just defensively, Logan Thomas has been everything that they expected him to be. Another guy that if you're supposed to be watching his week one performance, just filling out. He's getting longer. He's getting more explosive. If he keeps developing, then... 
he is potentially a top hundred player as well. Like he, he has that type of upside to him. It was always about just growing into your frame more, being a little bit more technically sound, those things that you're starting to see out of a Logan Thomas, which is super, super exciting. And we, we're going to have to start having a conversation. If this development needs to happen, and if Logan Thomas and Bryce Young continue their ascension, then this defensive line class has a chance to be special for Notre Dame in 2024. Because it's not even counting Cole Mullins, who we're expecting to take a nice senior year jump, because Cole Mullins has been banged up, obviously, the, the first two weeks of the seat. Or, sorry, he's, he's banged up currently. His team won again, Mill Creek, but he's been he's going to be out for three months, and he already had surgery, obviously, on the lower leg injury. So he's taking he is hoping to take a step forward, obviously, when he gets back. But adding those into the two freak show athletes that we have in Bryce Young and Logan Thomas in twenty twenty four class, defensive end group has a chance to be really good. We also saw two defensive tackles that were in action this weekend one was sean civilano jr who's out of clearwater florida academy international who lost this football game lost 28 to 21 against columbus miami school but guys sean civilano was pretty dang disruptive this week <laughs> pretty dang disruptive his official numbers were if i remember correctly and i believe he, yes so 11 tackles, six tackles for loss, and three sacks. Everyone knows, we've talked about this on the show, I still have my reservations about Sean Civilano at the next level as far as an upside play. But the one thing you can't discount is that he's playing better competition this year than what he did last year, and he's still putting up crazy numbers, man. Crazy numbers. I mean, six tackles for loss, three sacks, and 11 total tackles as a defensive tackle. It's crazy numbers. Those are really crazy numbers. So that is, I mean, Sean Civilano is just putting up numbers his first two weeks for for Clearwater Academy International. So they lost a, a nail biter. I know he was a little frustrated with it, but really just a really good season that he's putting together from a reduction. Last defensive tackle I wanted to hit on before getting into linebackers and some defensive backs, Davion Dixon out of Miami Palmetto. He was a transfer to Palmetto this offseason. They beat Homestead 13 to 12. If you see, if you guys want to just go back and look, watch a little bit of his game, his stats aren't crazy in this one. But the second half, coming out of halftime, Davion Dixon was unblockable. I mean, like he really was, man. He was giving guys fits, absolute fits. So talented kid in the 2025 class, Davion Dixon, a young man that has been on Notre Dame, high on Notre Dame for a very long time, obviously committed to Notre Dame this past blue and gold game. Both defensive tackles are off to a good start this season. Both Lauer, California linebacker out of St. John Bosco, Kingston Villiamo, Ace Asa, traveled with his team, who is a defending state and national champion. They traveled down to Florida to St. Thomas Aquinas, defeated them 20-7 to today. The funniest tweet ever was there was a, I guess a there was a St. Thomas Aquinas fan in the in the crowd that said two thousand two hundred eighty six miles to take an L on ESPN. Obviously throwing shade at St. John Bosco during the game, and St. St. John Bosco their Twitter page retweeted just said um nope. <laughs> I thought it was fantastic, man. It was so, 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 so funny. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Kingston, first two games of the season, you saw especially in the first game because he dropped the huddle highlight on it. 
but he is just one, just such a good football player. I mean, at the end of the day, what makes Kingston Villanueva special to me is that yes, he's six three, two hundred thirty pounds, but he is physical. You could see that. But man, his instincts are just fantastic. He sees the game at such a fast rate. I mean, his eyes are tremendous, and he looks a little more explosive this year than he was as a junior. And if that's true, then he's a top 50 football player in this class, like easily, in my opinion. Like if he is a 6'3", 230-pound guy that plays as proactively as he does, and he has the explosiveness that he is able that he puts on film this first couple games, that kid's a top 50 player in this class. Like it's it's no doubter, right? So getting a player like that out of St. John Bosco, because we've talked about it, right? Why is Jaden Greathouse look so good as a freshman, guys? Because he played at one of the best schools in the country and also Westlake, he came in and what's hit what, what to him is playing on national television. Like he's done that in his career. He's won multiple state championships. He was on one of the best teams. It like the best Texas six, a team in, in the entire state for multiple years. So Jane Greyhouse came to campus and was like, dude, I'm just balling, man. Like I'm just doing my thing. Right. And that's the same thing that I think that Kingston's going to do is, and I'm not saying that Kingston's going to be a, Breakout star as a freshman, although if he did, I wouldn't be shocked about it because I think he's a really, really good football player. But he's going to be one of those guys that, like, he's going to come to Notre Dame and uh, pra- like practices and just film work and all that stuff. It's going to be second nature. He, that's what he does. That's what, that's what Kingston does. Like, he knows the game inside and out, which is why I'm excited that you guys are going to get to hear my conversation with his mother after this section, which I thought it was a fantastic conversation. So looking forward to that one. Kingston Villamalasa, crazy football player, man. They went down to St. Thomas Aquinas and won 20 to 7. Just, it's what they do. Travel, they play the best teams in the country, football games. It's what St. John Bosco does. And Kingston's a reason for that, obviously. Another linebacker that I'm looking really forward to seeing in the 2024 class, and I'm rowing for the film to drop from the first week. But Bodie Cahoon out of Roanoke, Virginia, Patrick Henry High School was a was the lacrosse player that was formerly committed to Ohio State. Really good lacrosse player. They opened up their season with a 58 to 25 victory over Brookville. If you remember the kind of the backstory on Bodie, Bodie was a safety throughout the entire of his career. And then he moved there for five games as a junior. And now he's being evaluated, obviously, to project as an inside linebacker on next level. Will to Mike type of football player. Well, Bodie is also playing a little bit of fullback and tight end for his school this year. So I'm excited to see the film drop. But obviously, Patrick Henry High School got off to a great start this season with the 58-25 victory this past week. So I talked a little bit with Bodie about it. He said he felt really good, a lot more comfortable playing the linebacker position. So Bodie, if you're listening out there, man, you're a good friend of the show. You've gone on here before drop that huddle tape, sir. I need to see some of the, I need to see some of the film from the first week because obviously the team got off to a great start, but I want to see what type of player that he's developing into because talent is all there. I mean, he's listed between six, two, six, three, 220 pounds, and he has a verified 454 on his record. So this kid is a good size, good looking athlete that can run. So if he's able to put it all together and get more comfortable on the at the linebacker position, I think he could end up being a steal in this class. A guy that's only ranked as a three star right now, but I think he could be a four star if he has a big season. So 
Bodie and his school, though, got off to a really nice victory, 58-25 over Brookville this past weekend. Last linebacker, and once I'm going to buzz through this one. There just wasn't a lot of stats in this one because, unfortunately for Teddy Rezac, who's a linebacker of Omaha, Nebraska, Westside, is that his numbers on the day weren't impressive. He only had three tackles and he had one catch on offense. But the reason that they weren't impressive because his team won 57 to 7 and he didn't even play in the second half. <laughs> so, unfortunate for him, he wasn't able to play a ton of football this past weekend or this past Friday, I should say. But his team now won back to back state championships in the state of Nebraska, got off to another solid start. So, 57 to 7 victory over Creighton. I am personally excited to see what Teddy Rezac puts on film for the rest of the season, but obviously, very dominant dominant faction this past weekend for his school. I wanted to get into the defensive backs before we wrap up here. Carson Hobbs, Cincinnati, Ohio, Archbishop Moeller High School. They defeated Bishop Dwanger, who is in Indiana school, 57 to nothing. Of course, I was following the 59, oh, sorry, 49 to 28 loss last weekend to Ben Davis. They came back and put it on Bishop Dwanger. I had talked to Carson before that game, and he had, he was being very nice about it. I guess I'm like, oh, how's, how's Bishop Twanger look this this season, man? How are you feeling about that game? But he uh, he kind of said like, oh yeah, they're okay, they're okay. And what he meant to say was they're not very great, and they took him to the woodshed in this football game. So 57 nothing. Carson was targeted twice in this football game, did not give up a catch. Another situation where, and, and this is true of. Both true of Teddy Rezac. It's going to be true of Kennedy Erlacher when we get there. But their team's just won in dominating fashion this past weekend. So they just didn't play a ton to the second half. But great victory for Archbishop Moeller. A great step, obviously, after the tough loss week one against Ben Davis. Carson Hobbs obviously took a nice step forward. I was talking about Leonard Moore, who unfortunately his team got off to a little bit of a tough spot this past past weekend. They lost to Weiss 37-7. But I am really excited about Leonard Moore in this 2024 class. If you guys have been listening to just the Irish breakdown in the past, but Leonard Moore, 6'2", 175 pounds, a really talented longer corner in the 2024 class that Notre Dame is very excited about, Irish breakdown is very excited about. I'm excited to see the step he takes as a senior because I think that I think there's more speed there than maybe has been on film in, in junior season. I think he really takes a nice step forward as a senior. So excited about that and the growth of Leonard Moore. Let's talk about the safeties in the class. Not going to hit on Bronte Johnson. Bronte Johnson's team lost 35-30 this past weekend. Fortunately, Bronte is still out with the lower leg injury expected back in week three. So we'll get to see some Bronte Johnson very shortly. But unfortunately, this game was not one of them to see Bronte. Two safeties, though, that were in in action this past weekend. What was Kennedy Urlacher? And I kind of already hinted at this one. He's out of Chandler High School in the state of Arizona. They defeated Cesar Chavez 36, uh, sorry, 56 to 6. Talked to Kennedy, and he just said it was a boring game for him. So he didn't get a ton of action. He didn't play in the second half. So, unfortunately, not a lot of stats to be thrown around for Kennedy or Lacker because they had a dominating victory in the first game against Cesar Chavez. But no no problems with winning 56-6 to once in a blue moon. So, uh, yeah. So that is 
Hey, your locker. The last guy I wanted to talk on briefly was Tabron Benny Powell out of Westchester, Ohio, Lakota West. Lakota West, of course, the same high school as Ben Minnick in the 2023 class from Notre Dame safety. And Malik Hartford, who is now at the, at the University um, the Ohio State University. Unfortunately, Lakota West lost 18 to 3. I just want to highlight here, though, because I saw a lot of clips and a lot of a lot of stuff about Tabron Benny Powell the first two weeks. I'll say it like this. I think that Lakota West is not as good as they were last year, unfortunately. They lost a lot of talents, not only just the two guys I talked about, but they lost a lot of offensive talent. I mean, they've only scored zero and three points the first two weeks. So the offense is not playing well. But the defense is, guys. Defense only gave up 10 points to St. Xavier week one, and they only gave up 18 points this past weekend. So the defense has come ready to play. I just think Tate Brown looks pretty good so far, man. I think he looks like a better athlete than what I thought he was on film as a junior. I hope he's able to take a next next step forward because he is a young man that 6'1", 180 pounds, can certainly hit, certainly physical, certainly aggressive. I like a lot of his work in the run game. I just need to see the athletes be more consistent as a higher level. And we saw it first week that – he looked really good, blocked the field goal this past week, had a couple pass breakups, and was still active in the run game. So Tabron Benny Powell, I think, took a really nice step forward so far this season. I need to see more. I need to see from a game-to-game perspective. But Tabron Benny Powell, nice step forward so far for Lakota West, playing his more natural safety position compared to a rover outside linebacker spot that he's playing as as a junior. So that's kind of the recap of this past weekend of the Notre Dame commits in action. Don't go anywhere because I still got two more segments for y'all, man. So don't go anywhere. Keep putting those mailbags in the chat. Next, we're going to go to an interview that I did that I recorded previously. This was with Taluta Liliamo Asa, who is the mother of star 2024 Notre Dame commit Kingston Liliamo Asa. I had a great conversation with Taluta who is what a great woman. And I think you'll hear some of her insights, which I think was fantastic. But she gave me a lot of information here. What went in to Kingston's decision, their decision-making process, their family's perspective in general, and a lot of the background of him as an athlete, which I think was really, really cool. So I hope you all enjoy it. We're going to get to that next. Before we do, if you could just hit that like button, subscribe to the podcast, notification bell at the bottom of the screen. We'll be having IB Nation Sports Talk every day. I'll be back with Brian Driscoll tomorrow to do start some prepping for Tennessee State. So make sure, make sure, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on any and all of your favorite podcast platforms. Five-star reviews are also very much appreciated if you're listening to us on whatever favorite podcast platform you have, whether it's Apple, Spotify, and anything in between. So next, Taliuta, Liliamo, Asa, my conversation with her. I hope you all enjoy. Let me know that you can hear it on the other side and please enjoy this recent interview on Irish breakdown podcast. Welcome everyone to the Irish breakdown podcast. We have a little bit of an insight, another interview for you all. Everybody was incredibly pumped a couple of uh, what month ago now, a few weeks ago now when star 2024 bellflower, California, St. John Bosco linebacker, Kingston, Villiamoasa committed to the University of Notre Dame, of course, chose them over finalists. Ohio State and USC was a massive victory on the recruiting side of things for Notre Dame. I've gotten a little bit of 
Kingston's insight into the past. He's been on this podcast before. We've done multiple interviews on him, multiple pieces. Obviously, we know how big of a deal this was for Notre Dame. But I wanted to bring a different perspective to the show for you all today. So I have his mother joining the podcast today, Taliuta Viliamo Asa, joining the show today. Taliuta, I really appreciate you first and foremost for joining the show today. I'm really excited to kind of get the parents' perspective on the recruiting process and everything that was involved with Kingston. Thank you for joining the show. Really do appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I want to I want to boast about your son for a second, if I can. OK, I want to start us off here because I spoke to his head coach, Jason Negro uh, at St. John Bosco after he had committed to Notre Dame and just did a nice little coach follow up piece on him. And one thing he told me, which I think is a great way to start, is that Kingston's a unicorn, just a, a kid that doesn't come around too often. And I know you know this already, so I'm not saying anything that's like super new, you know, breaking news to you. But we're talking about a young man that, of course, is a great athlete. I mean, we don't need to talk about that too much, right? Like, we watch the film. We know Kingston's fantastic. He's also a great student, over a 4.0 GPA and really smart young man. And he also is grounded in his faith, which I think is just very unique. You don't often come around these types of kids because I was a teacher for a while. So, like, I've been around a lot of kids in my life coaching and teaching. But Kingston is one of those rare people that really – just hits every aspect of it, right? From a from a athlete, from a student, from a young man, and the values he has. My first question for you is, how proud are you of that young man? I mean, he's a tremendous young man. Um, I'm extremely proud of Kingston. Um, it was a long time coming, <laughs> but um, he's a great kid. He's um, very obedient and... Uh, just basically followed the pathway we had for him. So, yes. (laughs) Well, let let me ask you about that pathway, because I know that when you have family, that is a big part of the support system, obviously, and helping the guy, because the recruiting process can get super stressful for kids. It really can. It's, I mean, a lot of coaches calling, texting, come on this visit, come on that visit. And then obviously making a, a, a big decision in the end. So what was, in your perspective as a mother, what was your guidance like for Kingston? Like, what did you want to make sure that you provided to him to make sure that the, he made the best decision for him and that he knew that he had the support behind him all the way? Um, we, uh, I wanted to look at the whole picture. I just didn't want to take pieces of the picture. So what was the academics like? What was the atmosphere like? What was the football program like? What was the social, like, what are the aspects of spirituality within the university? So I didn't take pieces of it. It had to be a whole piece and the picture had to come together. So all four corners meet in the middle and came up with the full plan. So those were um, the connecting dots to the journey. Yeah. Well, it it makes total sense because every time I talked about Kingston, I mean, he kind of laid out all the things he was looking for, right? I mean, he talked about player development. He obviously talked about the degree and the academic side, playing great level of football, feeling like he was a part of the community and the culture. And it all makes a ton of sense, obviously, how it ended up the way it did with the University of Notre Dame. Let me ask you, you, just as far as your perspective on Notre Dame for a second, before we get into like relationships and everything, 
I know that a big part of his official visit was you getting out to see the campus and to see everything and to meet the coaches in person and do all that type of stuff. But early on, what was your perspective of Notre Dame and how much, I guess, getting on that visit, did that really solidify that that was potentially a really good place for Kingston? So I actually was the person taking Kingston on visits. So I actually been to Notre Dame about three times um, before the official visit. Um, I think every time Kingston went, I was with him. So I was the, basically his tour guide person. So I went uh, almost on every visit with him, aside from the ones that he took with coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the majority of the time it was us. Um, but Notre Dame was uh, when we first stepped on foot, um, I believe it's, it was 2021, I think. Yeah. When Kingston was injured uh, that sophomore year, we took several trips to, throughout that time, and um, it was different. Um, it, the atmosphere was different. The people were different. The students were different. The, it, it just was a different place, and we had to revisit it a few more times in order to solidify that Notre Dame would be the place for Kingston. So um, it, 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 the spiritual aspect of Notre Dame was key for us because we wanted that to continue. Um, the academic piece, I, I knew it, it wouldn't matter where Kingston went, um, sure. but I also did want a university that um, I felt was suitable for him, um, that he would grow um, academically and still continue on like he has been doing all his years. So those were important pieces to me uh, for Kingston. Well, and I'm really curious because I, 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 I'm a parent of two young daughters. So obviously I haven't, I haven't figured out the, uh, the college process, obviously in the future and all that great stuff. But let me ask you as a mother for a young man that's, one school that he was looking at at a high, obviously at a high level was USC, which is right in your guys' backyard, pretty close to home. And then he's looking at both Notre Dame and Ohio State, which are obviously way out in the Midwest and way far away from home. I guess my question for you is like your perspective of him going far away from home. Was it something that makes you nervous? Was it something that you're completely open to as far as making the travels? Like, I'm just, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. Cause like, I, I only have a two and a half year old and a, and a uh, three month old right now. And I'm just like, don't ever leave home. Don't ever leave your daddy type of thing. I, I guess what was, what was your kind of just your thoughts on him looking at places that were so far away from home. And then I guess, expanding and being able to, I don't know, take flight, whatever, whatever kind of phrase you want to coin there. Okay. So the, for us, our approach through the process where it was, it did not matter where our son went. We didn't care how many miles we had to go. The, the best fit for Kingston was what was important for us. And to us, the miles didn't matter. I didn't care what school broke it down or, or gave us the mileage of from, California to Indianapolis or California to Ohio State or California, I mean, Cerritos to USC. The, the, the whole process had to be researched from, you know, just, just the whole picture, like I said before, but it, the miles didn't matter for us. And honestly, um, Kingston 
we're ready for Kingston to go on ahead and take flight simply because um, his maturity level, um, his confidence, we've trusted that we've been able to um, instill in him the, the values and the morals necessary to be able to trust that he would go across the country and be able to still succeed without us. And in addition to that, his future is right there. So he's got to make it. You know what I'm saying? So he won't be with mom and dad forever. And at some point we have to let him go. And we were comfortable with that decision that wherever he wanted to go, he could go. I'm really curious because I've known Kingston's name for a long time. I I remember when he was dominating as a freshman for St. John Bosco and everybody's talking about like, he's the next big thing, right? Like he's the next guy. I would love to hear about maybe a, a little bit of your family background athletically, like as far as, you know, how athletic the family is. And was there a moment, I guess, maybe growing up where you were like, oh, wow, Kingston's pretty good. Like he's probably going to be a really good football player at some point here. Well, I think I think for us, Kingston was one of those kids that no matter the sport you put in, put him in, he would master it. Yeah. Um, so uh, for him at at four, no, at two, we started him off with basketball. And then it just year after year, we went year round with football, basketball, baseball, football, basketball, baseball. Then as he grew older, it went football, basketball, rugby, um, a football, basketball, you know, we tried a few things with him until we actually found his niche. And at, I want to say seven, seven years old, uh, when my husband said he's ready for tackle, he's ready for tackle football because he played four, five, and six Mm -hmm. in flag. And actually the only reason why I got Facebook or even got on social media was to expose Kingston. Nice. Um, his talent, because I felt that he was very talented at that age. Very, the IQ for him was very sharp. Um, his interest in the game, as far as watching, um, you know, he wouldn't watch the game at that young age. He would watch the positions. So wow. there were key positions that he would focus on. And um, yeah, so so basically... Um, we knew that whatever he put his mind to, that he would for sure succeed at mastering the the sport. So it makes total sense that kind of early on you, you had a big indicator that he would be a type of player. And then he ends up at St. John Bosco. And I kind of wanted to ask about them a little bit for a second because I spoke when I spoke to Coach Negro, he, I kind of asked him about this as far as St. John Bosco puts out great football players every single year i mean kingston obviously is one of them but like i even look at the rest of the 2024 with like peyton woodyard and jason mitchell and all these great players how much of a help were they in this process knowing that so many kids have come through st john bosco obviously coach negro understands the recruiting process very well how to help kids out how much was that their support beneficial to you guys so I, I have to be honest, uh, growing up, St. John Bosco wasn't even in the conversation for high school for Kingston. Oh, wow. Um, we kind of navigated his way and we were living in a city called Eastvale. Okay. And our, you know, they, they, Eastvale, he played some junior All-American with Eastvale, but then we felt that um, his talents exceeded the team. So we moved him to a more competitive team that had, 
a lot of studs or a lot of talented athletes that were at his level. Um, And so instead of just three in the neighborhood team, we went to a team that probably 20 were on that team, had the same similar abilities as Kingston. And then from there, it just led to travel ball. But Centennial, Corona Centennial was where we were going to send Kingston. Um, But um, a lot of what I saw going into Centennial at the time and the traffic that I saw that was going in there, I didn't want to deny Kingston the opportunity. So I went to the Trinity schools. I went to the local schools. I think I want to say we did about seven different shadow days. Okay. Um, you know, uh, the Trinity schools, we went to modern day Bosco and also Jay Sarah. And, and actually at the beginning, Jay Sarah was the lead at the beginning before this all started. And then, um, you know, the, the, the thing going into Bosco, Coach Terry Bullock was very instrumental, and so was Co- Coach Rob Fuyava. They were very instrumental in um, just getting us to come and see what Bosco was about. Um, and, and for, you know, after going to all those schools and going to Bosco, I had to come visit Bosco again. Sure. But the thing that really captured my attention with Bosco was Negro and us sat in the office for like almost two hours. Wow. And most of the conversation was not about football. It was everything outside of football. And that's that was key for me was that he wanted to know about the family. He wanted to know about Kingston. He wanted to know the dynamics of everything around to make this kid the football player, right? But it never really struck a conversation more of football than it did about everything outside of football. And then um, going to the robotics engineering class, um, I remember us going to the, they took us to, there was an assembly going on. So they took us to the assembly. We got to listen to a little bit of it. Then we also went to a robotics engineering class and, you know, we learned some things in there, but my, my, what struck me was Kingston was so inquisitive. Mm -hmm. He was so, um, he was asking the teacher a lot of questions and, you know, you're walking in there with a 14 year old and you're like, for reals, you know, he's asking, but the questions he was asking were really good questions. And so for me, as a parent, the academic side, very important, very key. It's always been key. As a matter of fact, if he wasn't a talented football player, I wouldn't care. But because I saw his passion for the game at a young age, um, we decided to venture off into that interest he had in football. And it was our responsibility as parents to be able to get him to where he needed to get to in order to get that that scholarship to college. Yeah. And so um, the, the coaches at Bosco were very instrumental. And, and the, the, the good thing is the, his position coaches have been there all along. You know, if a coach would reach out, they would let me know. Uh, coach Terry, Coach um, Fuiava, 
I mean, they were very instrumental. They were the piece to, to, to let me know about a whole lot of the colleges and what was going on. And I think a lot of them probably did warn the colleges or the coaches that were inquiring <laughs> about uh, Kingston that, okay, you're going to deal with the mom who doesn't play and yeah. she's serious about her son. So um, I, I believe Negro at the beginning um, when he was a freshman, you know, just the things that he would say to the media, just the platform that Bosco has, just the, the, the family atmosphere from all the coaches, the, you know, those were all key factors in this kid's success at Bosco leading into the commitment to Notre Dame. So as far as the commitment that finally happens, I mean, it was a fascinating recruitment because Kingston, and it makes sense just hearing the supports that he had behind him with yourself and the other coaches, he had a really thorough, I think, process as far as he made a smaller group, he evaluated everything, eventually he comes to the top three of USC, Ohio State, Notre Dame, he's like, I want to take official visits to them, and then I want to have a couple weeks of clarity and come to a decision. Right. My question is, after those official visits, seeing everyone for the last time, getting the last kind of impressions of the coaches, being able to talk yourself and him just kind of firsthand and his family. What was the last, I guess, couple weeks there as far as when Kingston had all the data, you guys had all the data, all the impressions, all the understanding. And now it was really time to kind of sit down and figure out the best spot for him as a mother, your perspective. How did you help him guide through those last couple weeks? How, I guess, I, I proud, I guess, is a good word as far as like how he was able to handle this down the stretch there. I'm just kind of wondering about the insight of like what those last couple weeks were like. So the, the I, I can honestly say the whole process has been not stressful for us as a family. A lot of the things Kingston was able to handle on his own. Yeah. from interviews to the communication with the coaches, I had only what he couldn't handle. And yeah. I had only the communication that was necessary for the parent. Mm -hmm. um, but the last few weeks, um, the whole journey is purposeful and intentional. So yeah. we were very intentional about the process. The last few weeks of the process after we had taken those official visits, it was important throughout the process that we continue to meet with him and continue to come out with a plan of how we were going to do the last few weeks leading up to the commitment. Mm -hmm. And so we just wanted Kingston to just relax. We wanted him to soak it all in because we had decided um, that we, as his parents, navigated his way, right? In youth football to get him to the high school we needed to get him to, and now to college. And we felt we did a great job navigating his way there. Okay. And then his decision was going to be the college choice. And we knew that the last few weeks, I think maybe the last few weeks were probably the most stressful that we saw Kingston 
um, not stressful to where he was just freaking out, but just stressful. We could see some things in the dynamics of the day that he was probably going back and forth with on sure. um, between the different three schools. We kind of, I can honestly say it could have been any of them. But his ultimate decision, even when we planned the commitment date, was purposely done after a week that he was able to go and just disconnect from the whole world to with no cell phone, nobody communicating with him, nobody contacting him, so that he could go to the mountain and just sit and talk to the Lord and get the guidance and the direction. Because I can tell you, going into that, it was going to be either USC or Ohio State. Yeah. And coming out of it, it ended up being Notre Dame. Fantastic. Yeah. It's, just inc- it's incredible the journeys, you know, like it, it's yeah. just because I, I, I obviously had heard that story as soon as after Kingston had, had interviewed um, and made his commitments about, you know, as far as I think he said something like Notre Dame was the one place that I couldn't see myself. Right. And then but then after that week of clarity, it kind of all came into focus for him like it just incredible story i have two questions for you i'm so sorry for going a little bit over on my time here but this is a fantastic interview so i'm curious as far as from the notre dame side of things you talked about relationships a lot already obviously with your relationship with the coaches and and getting to know everyone and even from the saint john bosco side to really you know be able to sit down with coach negro for two hours and they just talk about everything right so I'm curious about Notre Dame and how you feel like those relationships have been building with yourself and with Kingston. So I know Al Washington was at Ohio State previously, and he obviously had a relationship with with Kingston even before he was at Notre Dame. I know Marcus Freeman was pretty instrumental in this in this decision and obviously the relationship that they built. Can you just give me a little bit of insight into the Notre Dame relationships that Kingston and your family have been able to build? Well, the problem is, Ryan, it doesn't matter where I go. We build the relationships. So right. it, was, it wasn't It was easy. Sure. Um, but the, at the end of it all, you still want them to respect you and you respect them. Yep. But with Notre Dame, um, the genuity, I'd say, of the, the coaches, um, Al Washington was very instrumental yep. in this whole process. So I, I think what captured... Um, the essence of, of of getting down to the final three because Kingston actually wanted a top 10. And I told him, you are not going to do entertain everybody. You're going to only pick a top three and that's what we're working with. Gotcha. And so um, the, the Notre Dame was very, very consistent. Even during the times of his injury, they were one of the consistent ones. And, Ohio State was as well. You know, Coach Lincoln Riley, you know, of course, he came on and it developed, right? But Notre Dame never wavered with us. Notre Dame, uh, I mean, even with um, Coach, um, the defensive coordinator, even with Al, you know, he was, he was, um, when he came upon, he was kind of, he was more reserved, I'd say. But Washington knew that he could reach out. We could talk. It wouldn't matter. Coach Freeman knew he could call. We it talk. It wouldn't matter. Coach Bulla came up 
on the scene and we just felt like we connected right away. Um, uh, Chad has always forever and always been our go-to guy when there was a question. Um, Caleb, just the, the whole, just the whole staff. I, I mean, there's not a one thing I can say that they were great. They were great. And, and I have to trust as a mother that I'm sending my kid across the country and to be able to trust the people that I'm leaving my son to. And I felt that I felt that with Notre Dame. And so that's, that's my little, <laughs> I love it. No, I love it. it. It's, it's so great to hear because I know that I had heard, obviously, you know, just talking to Kingston and both obviously sources of how just instrumental every coach was, right? Like it wasn't just a, a one, it wasn't a primary and secondary recruiter in this situation. Like there was, it was a whole collaborative effort to really sell the vision. So that that actually just reassures everything that I heard that that is a hundred percent. My last question, and this is more of a fun one, I think is that Kingston just got his season kicked off last, last Friday. They defeated Liberty 42, 22. He was, I watched his huddle highlight. He was, fantastic in that football game how cool is it now that the recruiting stuff is kind of behind you as a family to be able to watch football again to be able to watch your son excel and to be a senior finally you know what football is my favorite time of year football season is my favorite time of year I go all out for football season but I'm I'm so glad and if you see how Kingston decided the commitment date was right before they get ready to full-on practice right yep so that way he could commit and I have to worry about this because he's so focused on his final classes that he has left and his football season, because we're going to run it back. Oh, yeah. We're going to run oh, it yeah. back to get that national championship. Okay. And, you know, his focus right now is those two things. He doesn't want to do a whole lot of interviews. I'm sorry, this computer, they've had shortage outages, but um the, you know, he doesn't want to focus on interviews. I mean, if they're there on the field, he'll do the interview. But as far as taking the time out, Kingston is extremely busy from the time he wakes up till the time he gets home and is up doing his homework. And so by then it's time to eat, shower and go to sleep, you know. So um, I love it. I, I am probably the loudest cheering mom at Bosco. And I get the crowd wild up, but I enjoy it. I lo- that's I mean, the kids love to hear their parents, right? I yes. mean, Kingston is very humble. I can tell you this. Kingston does not like his parents to talk about him. So we leave that for everybody else. So it it um it it it's humbling to have a kid like him who doesn't want the attention on him but wants it on everybody else. But King is Kingston is so deserving of everything that he's getting right now. Well, that's why there's people like me, so I could boast about your son <laughs> and how fantastic exactly. he is. That's it. Uh, and I should have mentioned that. I didn't even mention that during this podcast. But yes, defending state and national champion, yes, John Bosco, thirteen and one yes. last year. I watched their rematch against Modern Day in the playoffs, and that was one of the best games I had watched all season. Yeah. That was a fantastic game. So, yes, I'm happy though. Just genuinely that he's able to now experience everything and just be able to kind of stay laser focused. Cause I don't know if I, I, I definitely didn't tell you, but I, I was talking to coach Negro and I actually met Kingston down in San Antonio last year at the all American bowl. Yeah. 
and he is super laser focused because he gave me a handshake and he almost broke my hand. I'm like, that kid is a strong kid, man. Absolutely nuts. So, so, so as I get to know your family, obviously I'm getting your perspective as the mother. I would love to hear about just the impact though that Kingston's father had in this as well, as far as what has he been able to guide? I know that he has obviously been very instrumental in him developing into the great football player he is, but just kind of insight into his role in helping Kingston get to where he is now. Um, yes. Uh, so uh, Kingston's, when Kingston was four and, um, you know, because he was the tallest kid, they would always put him on the line. And so at first, you know, we were just observers. My husband and I were just observers. And then um, our <clears throat> my husband was like, no, he's not going to be on the line. I mean, just by what he saw in Kingston. And so uh, he coached Kingston. He ended up coaching he uh, from four to 13. And it was done that way purposely because 13, at 14 U, we wanted it to be other coaches because he would be going into high school after that and his dad wouldn't be on the sideline. So um, we decided to do that. But my husband was very instrumental in that he did watch film with Kingston. Um, he did go over plays with Kingston. Um, in coaching him, my husband used um, different techniques for Kingston to be able to understand the game um, and things that were relative to him as a child. So cartoon characters were very important. Um, my husband would use um, the cartoon characters from uh, Transformers. Oh, wow. So he would call out a play and he would say, Bumblebee. And it was a specific tackle based on the movie. Right. So Bumblebee would do a certain move in the movie and that's the same technique he would apply it to. And then he would say two one Adam. He would say two one Adam or he'd say laser focus or, um, you know, he would always use cartoon characters to be able to yell it out for Kingston to execute it on the field. Wow. And so my husband trained Kingston in our front yard from ever since he was little. And he used what we had. So, you know, those fairly large trash cans. Kingston tackles the way he tackles today. because That's what my husband taught him how to tackle <laughs> was the large trash cans. Um, he used foam and a large trash can. And he would have Kingston jump over the phone and tackle the trash can. And he also used a broomstick. So he would, our yard, he would uh, line out our yard into a square shape because we had two yards in the front. So the one yard, our left side, you could put into a square shape. And he would make Kingston run in the square but if the broomstick landed on his back, he was too slow. So he would go around the square and chase Kingston in the square with the broomstick. And that's how he was able to catch his speed before wow. we started putting him in training. And so, you know, he Kingston was a running back and a linebacker growing up. And then safety, he ended up, as he grew older, they ended up putting him at safety and also corner. 
So he did DB. He did all those positions on the defense. So pretty much he knows, right? So when Kingston would be running back and if he was going to catch a pass and he missed the pass, when we got home, my husband would have Kingston put his hands flat out and he would hit him with a, anything, a stick, a paddle. He would hit him for how many times he missed the ball. So, it, it, you know, there were several nights of film work. So after every game, we'd get a DVD of the, the, the game and then we'd go over it, you know, and then, you know, he would go over the film with him. Well, what could you have done differently here, son? What could you have changed here to be able to make this play? But, you know, that dedication, that commitment, you know, I'm over there helping out with the team. My husband's over there coaching the team. And then we have a player on the team. So that that the commitment, the dedication, the um, sacrifices that we had to make all built this and developed this player that we had. So I think, you know, in his youth football, everybody was laughing at us when we would be yelling these cartoon characters out, <laughs> you know, but when we would yell it, Kingston would execute it. Yeah. And at the beginning, they would, they would laugh, right? They would laugh in the stands. They're like, what? What are you talking about? Bumblebee? They had no idea what yeah. we were doing. But it was my husband's message to Kingston how to execute the play, you know, the, 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 the scheme of it, you know. And he had several different, like, being laser-focused, how to just go straight out and just tackle the guy or quarterback or any, you know, how to be the, like the eagle. The eagle scans the field and then yeah. makes his attack. So, I mean, there were a lot of things that my husband used in order to be able for Kingston to understand at that young level. And then of course, as he grew older, those names had to change because now you were running routes and now you are playing cover two, cover, you know, different <laughs> things like that. But yeah. I thought that it was very instrumental that starting from that led to this and led to what it is today. You have a great, you have a great kid. You've made a great young man. Tell you, I really appreciate you again for taking so much time. I told you 10 or 15 minutes and we're about to hit 30 minutes on this podcast, but <laughs> this was a fantastic interview. I really appreciate so much hearing your perspective on the whole process. Cause I think that this is the part that we don't get enough, right? Is that, you know, we talk about what these kids do on Friday nights all the time, what they're going to do on Saturdays, but we don't get like the human aspect enough as far as, who these people are, you know, and, and the recruits that we're talking about each week. So thank you so much for joining the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It was genuinely a pleasure. I really just want to know, let you know that I really appreciate you taking some time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. All right, folks, there you are. That is Taliuta Viliamo Asa, the mother of 2024 Notre Dame linebacker commit, Kingston Viliamo Asa. If you guys could just, if you could take a second and just let me know if you hear me loud and clearly. Again, I just want to make sure that the mic has no issues as we transition into our next topic. So if you could just put a, sounds fine, this was great, good, sounds good, good, blah, 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 all that great stuff. Would genuinely appreciate it if someone could just do it real quick. Uh, thank you so much. I, I see 
Really great feedback in the chat. So I just want to awesome. Thank you, Irish Gordy. Not thank you, Jason. Appreciate you, Ryan Loftus. Thank you, sir. So I, I just really want to kind of just kind of put a bow on that conversation. First and foremost, folks, I appreciate everyone for the positive remarks in the chat. Talia obviously is a great young, is a great lady. I was a great young lady. <laughs> She's a great lady. She really is, man. This was a, this was one of those conversations where I, I started the conversation off by saying, you know, I just want to keep you about 10 or 15 minutes. You know, we'll talk about the process, everything that was going on, Kingston, final steps, all that great stuff, right? But for me, this was one of those that, this is one of those interviews that truly I kind of just looked up and realized that it went almost a half an hour. I mean, it went over a half an hour. So uh, first and foremost, I don't think anyone should be surprised. And I've talked about this a lot throughout the process. No one should be surprised that Kingston is the way that he is after hearing that conversation. And I, I think for me, because I, I one thing I told you guys was I would never say flat out that I like I think it's going to be Notre Dame. I was always just on the record of I think Notre Dame has a chance in the end because Kingston has been one of those kids that has just been super, super consistent the entire time through as far as this is what I'm looking for. This is my process. This is what I want to make happen. And that plan had never changed throughout the entire process. So I believed him. I did. And I know there was a lot of back and forth. And Taliuta, his mother, even said during the podcast that going into that final decision window, the last couple of weeks there, it was either going to be USC or Ohio State. And then that week of clarity, when he went up to the mountain, he was with God, and he had his process, he came out with Notre Dame as the pick. So just a fascinating recruitment, first and foremost. But secondly, and more importantly, I want to thank Taliuta for giving us a little bit of insight into that conversation. I really, like, It was so fascinating because even the stuff of him training with his father growing up, her role in everything, how they chose the high school that he went to. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys heard that part about choosing St. John Bosco over Centennial and Modern Day and kind of the decision-making process that went into it. Just a really fascinating backstory, a really, really great family. So I was excited that she was able to join me, and I was thankful that she gave me the truth. And that's the only thing I've ever gotten from the Villiamo Asa family is the truth. And I'm excited for him to be a part of the Notre Dame family for obvious reasons. He's a really good football player. But for more than that, I think that one thing we have learned, and this is going back to Debbie Odding, and this is going back to Shonda Gray, and this is going back to Glenn James and Don Schuler. These families that end up picking Notre Dame typically are great people. They really are. And the Villiamo Asa family is included in that, obviously. So I'm happy that he's a part of the program, and I'm happy that they made the decision they did because that's a great support system and great family. So we're going to get into the mailbag next. Just wanted to put the wraps on that interview, which I thought was really fun, really good. So before we get over to the mailbag, though, you can keep putting mailbag questions in the chat, by the way, and we'll be able to work through that MB or mailbag in front of your question to distinguish. Make sure, if you like this interview, hit that like button. would very much appreciate that. 
Subscribe to the podcast, the notification bell at the bottom. Make sure, please, that you hit that for us because I'm telling you what, folks, you're going to have a lot of content this week. I don't want to toot our own horn too much, but we had really good weekend this, obviously, this, this past weekend from a company perspective. A lot of views, a lot of great impact and great feedback that we've re- received in, um, recently. This morning, Brian has churning out a bunch of content. I put out a couple like in-depth pieces from the action this past weekend, including the commit the commit performance recap. I also put out a little bit of a interview I did with Bryce Phillips, who is a cornerback out of Tennessee State that Notre Dame is going to be seeing this weekend. And even got a little bit of intel for you all as far as what you should expect from this Tennessee State team coming to town this weekend to South Bend. So make sure you hit that like button, subscribe, all that great stuff. We're going to get the mailbag next. We want to thank you all so much for being with us on this portion of the Irish Breakdown podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.